We'll go to our study in 2 Corinthians. And we're in chapter 11 still. I didn't get too far. Uh, We looked at the outline for chapter 11. And Paul, again, is writing, the Apostle Paul is writing this follow-up letter that really is, is, it's a lot, it's actually quite different than his first letter to the Corinthian church in that, of course, he's dealing with many of the same people and situations, but Paul writes this one and you see more of a glimpse of, in, of his heart, of what he was really going through and the struggles. And again, there were those that had come in after Paul was there and had spent 18 months in Corinth teaching them and afterwards had come in and through legalisms and other things had taken people captive in, you know, in those ways. And so Paul is uh, defending his own position. And this chapter in particular, uh, he uses you know, sort of irony, and we'll look at that again in almost a sarcastic way, that as he um, talks to them and says, I'm going to be foolish with you, and that now he was not being a fool, but he was playing on those terms uh, talking to them and saying, I'm going to answer you with truth, all right? And he's overemphasizing that when he uh, writes in this ch- section. And, and also, that's, yeah, that's how he starts this section off in chapter 1. But he talked about, and we looked at these areas in the last few studies, his jealousy over the church. And again, it's perfectly proper to be jealous for someone that you love when that one, or in this case, the church, the group that had been there, was while they were really in bondage in a relationship with Judaizers, these, these people had come in and they were legalistic and they were mixing law with grace and they were bringing false doctrine and they were doing all kinds of things to them and really fleecing them. And so Paul was jealous with a holy kind of jealousy. And then he talked about his generosity to the church and how it cost him to go there actually to serve them and he took nothing from them and paul to have to defend himself on that most of the time i think when you look at paul especially his attitude after his salvation obviously was one of great humility and it this chapter's sort of funny because if you don't couple it with the rest of paul's writings and his life and the aspect of humility you'd almost think that he's proud and he wants to boast and he wants to do that and not at all he had to because his, their immaturity the, of the Corinthians and those that had taken him captive had forced him into this position to defend himself. And nobody um, necessarily wants to be put into a position where you have to lay out your credentials or lay out your heart for others to see, well, this is what I'm really like. But that's what Paul does. And again, I believe fully it's in keeping with what the Holy Spirit wanted to uh, write have written down i mean the, i believe that this is in the inspired word of god right so we have that and then the third section of this chapter we're going to look at it tonight it's his anxiety for the church he worried for them he was laboring over them in his mind and in his you know emotions that this wasn't something it was a hands-off approach for paul it was a very real a situation and it caused him great concern and he speaks about that a little bit further on so we're going to pick that up we're going to read down through these verses and then we'll come back and comment on a few of them here starting in verse 16 of second corinthians 11 i say again let no one think me a fool 
if otherwise, at least receive me as a fool, that I also may boast a little. What I speak, I speak not according to the Lord, but as it were foolishly in the confidence of boasting. Seeing that many boast according to the flesh, I will boast. For you put up with fools gladly, since you yourselves are wise. For you put up with it if one brings you into bondage, if one devours you, if one takes from you, if one exalts himself, if one strikes you on the face. To our shame, I say that we were too weak for that. But in whatever anyone is bold, I speak foolishly, I am bold also. Are they Hebrews? So am I. Are they Israelites? So am I. Are they the seed of Abraham? So am I. Are they ministers of Christ? I speak as a fool. I am more in labors, more abundant, in stripes above measure, in prisons more frequently, in deaths often. From the Jews five times I received forty stripes minus one. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. Three times I was shipwrecked. A night and a day I have been in the deep. In journeys often, in perils of water, in perils of robbers, in perils of my own countrymen, in perils of Gentiles, in perils in the city, in perils in the wilderness, in perils in the sea, in perils among false brethren, in weariness and toil and in sleeplessness often, in hunger and thirst, in fastings often, in cold and nakedness. Besides the other things, what comes upon me daily my deep concern for all the churches. Who is weak, and I am not weak? Who is made to stumble, and I do not burn with indignation? If I must boast, I will boast in the things which concern my infirmity. The God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who is blessed forever, knows that I am not lying. In Damascus, the governor, under Eridus the king, was guarding the city of the Damascenes and with a garrison and desiring to arrest me. But I was let down in a basket through a window in the wall and escaped from his hands. And let's open in prayer again. Father, thank you for your word. And as we look into it tonight, I pray, O oh God, that you would just teach us as only you can. And we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Back up here where I was. So as we're looking at this section, um, we'll go back to verse 1. When Paul opens up in this area, and this is not the first time he has used that word in conjunction with himself as, as being foolish or acting like a fool. And when you read this, he says, I say again, let not one think me a fool, if otherwise at least receive me as a fool, that I also may boast a little. Now he's being... He's really being sarcastic, is what he's saying. Because, uh, and it's, he's being truthful, and he's driving that truth home using uh, sort of hyperbole, I guess, as he's exaggerating his situation. He's not being a fool. Uh, and he's basically doing exactly the opposite. He was doing being wise. But he says, oh, you, you Corinthians, you seem to receive fools gladly, so here I am. All right? And he's not really being the fool. You have to understand that. And then he goes on to say this, and it sounds like he's apologizing for it. What I speak, I speak not according to the Lord. Now, some have said, well, was Paul uh, taking himself out of uh, what the, the Spirit of God was breathing through his, his pen? 
And was he, were the words that were following not in accordance with what God would say? And that's not what Paul's really saying here. What he's saying is this, that the pattern in which he has been, now has to go to is not the way Jesus did it. And you might say, well, then why is Paul doing it? Because he was forced by these, again, immature Corinthians and the Judaizers there to defend himself. And Jesus didn't do that. Neither did Jesus have to do that. Uh, Jesus, uh, in his ministry, when he was reviled, he was reviled not again, right? Um, he didn't answer them on those things. But it doesn't mean that Jesus did not, at times, deal harshly with um, people in, in a harsh, in, I mean, a proper way, but he dealt harshly with them. When you read, for instance, in Matthew's Gospel, when he talks to the Pharisees, oh, brood of vipers, he calls them, all of this. And he was really driving home a point, and he called them a bunch of snakes. And that was the, some of the, the nicer things that were said of them, right? And it was, of course, truthful in that. So Paul is not saying, oh, this is not inspired, or this is not the word of God, what is following. But rather, he is saying that um, this is not the way I wanted to do this. It wouldn't be in accordance with the Lord, the way the Lord would have uh, dealt with them perhaps but it is how the lord deals with them through the apostle right and that happens when we're in a world that is uh, contrary to christ isn't it well you see these things and and he goes on to say this seeing that many boast according to the flesh i will also boast or i also will boast and this is what was happening the judaizers had come in and they were boasting and the boasting of those people drew the Corinthians, some of them anyways, into that, that, that false ministry. And you know, I have to say it this way. We, and I see it in, in society. I, and maybe I'm a little different because I am not particularly, I do not venerate people. I just don't. I never have been that way. I mean, I respect certain people. And there's people that I would look to that, you know, I would call them heroes and, and things like that. But they're not what normally what society calls heroes, right? I mean, today we have some really weird things people call heroes, right? And sometimes it's just people who do evil things and they call them heroes and those kind of things. But what Paul is saying here is that, and I think it's, it's human nature, we, like to, we do like to venerate people and be attracted to them. And these people came along, they're boasting, oh, look at us, we've arrived, and, and this is what we have behind us. And, and later on, he, he plays on some of that. They were boasting because um, here's the Corinthian church, which was made up of Jews and Gentiles, and in the Greek setting, and you have these Judaizers who say, we're of Abraham's seed, and we're Israelites, and by the way, we have the word of God, and you... you you know, unwise Corinthians, we're here to teach you. I mean, that's the attitude that has come through. And sometimes we're drawn to that as Christians, especially if we're immature. And I mean that because uh, I remember times when I was a new Christian and I would see somebody come along, man, and I, I listen, it was really funny one time. I got to tell you, I don't know why this, this came back to mind this week, probably because of the, the Walt Disney thing, you know, and going on in Florida and all that stuff, and it was in the news. We were at MBBI my freshman, I think it was my freshman year, and there was a couple that came to MBBI, and they had been, um, believe it or not, Walt Disney was, uh, at least he professed 
uh, Christ. He was a, claimed to be a born-again Christian. Now, I don't think that was his mission, okay, necessarily, to go create Disney World and all the things that are in that. But he professed to be a Christian. And there was a couple that had come to MBBI. They were older then. And they came and they had a, a whole, you know, like, they, they spoke to our, a, a class before chapel. And they told of all the great things that they did with Walt Disney back in, in the 60s. The, the actual man, Walt Disney, not the company and the 50s and 60s and man i'm sitting there thinking these people have been with some important people out there i mean you know not that walt disney saw that important but anyways it was definitely a shaper of our culture and i i just i don't know i was just kind of drawn in by that and all that and then they got up uh, in chapel to speak and came across very arrogantly really arrogant and almost like we're here to tell you poor Bible school students, how it really is. <laughs> and, and I remember sitting there thinking, I think I was duped in the class. Now, thankfully, that's, and that's how most people kind of took them afterwards, you know, all that, and I'm glad. But isn't it funny that sometimes people can, they, they were in full-time ministry, and I can't remember the exact thing they did, um, but they were involved in going from church to church, and they, they did a little bit of everything. And I thought, you know, their ministry is a lot of show. No wonder they talked a lot about Walt Disney or whatever. It was, it's all about the show. And I was thinking of that tonight as I was going down through my notes. And I'm thinking, those Judaizers came in. And they had all the fanfare. They had all the glamour. They had all the, the, the right credentials. But they weren't in it for Christ. They were in it for themselves. And if you're careful... And in the word of God, and you know who Jesus Christ is, and you get to know him, you find out that when the real thing's in front of you, it makes sense. When the, the false thing's in front of you, it also makes sense, because the Bible is clear. And there are people that, they don't pass the, the Jesus test. They aren't like him. The Judaizers weren't like Jesus. They were instead just like the Pharisees of, of Jesus' day, and they were... As Jesus said to them, compassing land and sea, looking for proselytes, right? Making a convert to their way. And as Jesus says, you make him twofold more a child of hell than yourselves. Wow, that's pretty hard. Anyways, I don't want to, I'm deviating a little bit, but he says this um, about boasting and things like that. The reality is when you read Paul's writings and he himself really presented himself quite humbly. When he talks about his, himself, he says he's the least of all saints. Um, not worthy to be called an apostle, right? Uh, he, he was an apostle, born out of season. He was not right there with the original group. And some have said, you know, that who was, who was Paul? You know, where, where did he come along? Well, he is numbered, you know, early in church history as one of the apostles. And we know that he did see the resurrected Christ on the road to Damascus and was commissioned directly by Jesus. But it was after the ascension, after the resurrection, um, as the other apostles were in, in that. He meets the criteria of being an apostle, but he called himself the least. And he called himself the chiefest of sinners. I think Paul always had that in his mind, that but by the grace of God, right? I am what I am by the grace of God. And, and, and that is how he ended up in ministry. And 
uh, when you look at First uh, Timothy, I don't have it in the notes there, but there's a verse in First Timothy that stands out, and it it just kind of, uh, if I can say it, it says in verse 12 of First Timothy 1, And I thank Christ Jesus our Lord, who has enabled me, because he counted me faithful, putting me into the ministry. Although I was formerly a blasphemer, a persecutor, and an insolent man, but I obtained mercy because I did it ignorantly in unbelief, and the grace of our Lord was exceedingly abundant with the faith and love which are in Christ Jesus. And then he he can't even go on about himself anymore. He says, this is a faithful saying and worthy of all acceptance that Christ Jesus came into the world to save a sinner or save sinners of whom I am chief. When Paul compared himself to Christ, he was the least. Really, that's the what John the Baptist said too, didn't he? He said, he must increase, I must decrease. And yet Jesus said of John the Baptist, of men born of women, there's none greater. He certainly could have had a name and been a famous person and all of that. Instead, he was a voice of one crying in the wilderness. That's what his ministry was. Paul writes in Philippians chapter 2, Therefore, if there is any consolation in Christ, if any comfort of love, if any fellowship of the Spirit, if any affection and mercy, fulfill my joy by being like-minded, having the same love, being of one accord, of one mind. Let nothing be done through selfish ambition or conceit. You know, that should be the life verse of people <laughs> sometimes. We, we pick funny verses sometimes. That would be a better one for a lot of us. Let nothing be done through selfish ambition or conceit. But in lowliness of mind, let each esteem others better than himself. I tell you that, I, I see that in Paul, the apostle. He esteemed others better than himself. Otherwise, he would have gone into Corinth like the Judaizers came in. And he would have taken all their money that they could give him or whatever else he could gain, notoriety, something like that. And as soon as all that started to wane, he would move on to the next and do that. Because that's what the world does, doesn't it? It just, it'll fleece people. Paul was not like that. He comes and he's a burden to no man. He works night and day, as he says to the Ephesian elders later. And I, he says, you know what conduct I was among you and how my manner of, of, of was with you and didn't cease to warn people night and day house to house laboring with his hands while he was doing it all those things that's not doing stuff through selfish ambition and conceit then he goes on to say let each of you look out not only for his own interests but also for the interests of others let this mind be in you which was also in christ jesus who being in the form of God did not consider robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation, taking the form of a bondservant and coming in the likeness of men. And being found in the appearance of man, he humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death, even the death of the cross. And Paul goes on to talk about the exaltation of Christ. But it was through his humility that Jesus is clearly seen. I think that's why Jesus um, identifies so readily with us in that he didn't come the first time as someone sitting on a high horse, you know, uh, as somebody lording over others, although he could have, 
He's the Lord. If anyone could, he is. So contrary to the way men and, and women do that. He humbled himself. And that literally means that Jesus took that glory that was associated with him and veiled it and became a man. Imagine going from uh, the, the eternal son of God who was, could be omnipresent, he could be omniscient of all things, all powerful of all things, and puts himself under the will of the Father and he no longer is omnipresent that way as the son. Now, there is obviously the triune God still omnipresent. But he limited himself to geography or a a location, didn't he? And yet, he wasn't always bound by that. But again, he gave up the use of that to the will of the Father. Um, That's why he could vanish out of people's sight and then reappear and those kind of things uh, at times. All that different stuff that went on. The fact that the one who never had a beginning had to start at birth, right? Or in conception and be born and learn to walk and, and learn to run and learn to go to school and have to learn languages and learn mathematics and all those things. He, he humbled himself and became a man. Had to learn to trade, had to work, had to suffer, had to go through the pains of illness, of this case in further even to death. Jesus knows what it's like to die and even greater, the death of the cross. Well, what a difference between those Judaizers and um, Jesus, right? And I think what Paul is doing, and he may have had this one in mind in Proverbs 26.5. It says, answer a fool according to his folly, lest he be wise in his own eyes. And I really think Paul epitomizes this in this chapter 11 of 2 Corinthians. He's answering the fools, all right? Now, mind you, fools in the book of Proverbs, the word means those who are uh, ignorant of, so they can be spiritually ignorant, they can be other you know, things, and a lot of times morally depraved, okay? And so a lot of foolish things go on in our world, and people play the fool because they are ignorant of who God is. Then there are some, though, that know who God is, and they still want to be a fool. Uh, I think it's a wise person knows the difference. It's interesting that Jesus answered a man like Nicodemus and answered him, you know, with, you know, he says, except a man be born again. He cannot see the kingdom of God. Tells him how to be born again. Goes into a lot of dialogue on that. And yet, when Jesus is standing before Herod, the king, Herod was mocking him, didn't want anything to do with the truth. Jesus didn't answer him. So to understand, don't cast your pearls before swine, you know, would be the the term, um, unless they turn and rend you. In other words, sometimes it's best to be silent. But then there's other times it's best to answer a fool in their folly to to let them know they're being foolish. I think about that. Um, Today, in this whole world of gender identity, I mean, that's the big thing now, right? You have people coming out and saying, I, I now identify, even though I'm a biological male, I'm identifying as a woman. And I, and I think, I know, most people go, that's foolish. And, you know, good answer for that, don't argue with them. 
that they want to identify as a woman and they're a biological male and they're maybe very confused, whatever. But just tell them, hey, uh, you know, I identify as an airplane, airplane pilot. Um, you want to go for a plane ride with me? You know, most of us are, well, are you an airplane pilot? Well, no, but I identify as one. Is that okay? You want to go for a ride with me in an airplane? Anybody? Anybody here? Oh, you guys are wimps. Isn't it funny? We can, what, what qualifies us to do those things, right? Certain things, right? I would hope I'd be uh, able in my mind and equipped to be able to fly an airplane, right? And can you imagine me going and saying that? Or, or I just I identify with an NBA player. I'm going to be an NBA player. I'm sure they'll just let me play the next basketball game I come to or whatever. No. I mean, there are qualifiers and disqualifiers and things that are true. And, all. and you know, that's the kind of thing you're not really answering somebody saying, you're not playing into their foolishness. You're just answering them. Isn't that a foolish thing? Now, let me tell you something foolish. And we can do that spiritually. I mean, I'm not saying to always do that. That isn't always the approach. But Proverbs 26.5 is like that. And basically, I think of this, you know, when someone says, um, you know, no, there's no God out there, okay? There's no God, there's no creator. And you'd have to be really foolish, I think, to believe that and not, you know, and, and then just simply ask, well, how in the world did all this happen? You say, if I took a box of pieces of a puzzle, a hundred, let's just say a hundred pieces, and you put it in a box, and I took that box, and I, they're all loose in there, and I just threw that out. And I threw that out, and I threw that out, and I threw that out. How many times would it take for that puzzle just to come together? That's just a hundred pieces. Now take the trillions of things that have to come together to make life. Just, just simple life. And you think that happened by chance? You just think there's no God? There's no even just, you know, say, intelligent designer or something? You've got to be a fool to believe this just happened. I mean, that's, that's true. I, I really, I would just say it takes far more faith to believe that everything around us just came together on its own. Because it would be foolish to come into this building here and look at this building and say, wow, isn't this neat how this all came together by itself? There were lots of people who were involved in building this building over the years, right? And renovating it and keeping it up and all that. And I guarantee you, it didn't come together on its own. Now, the Lord holds it all together. He holds everything together. But you know what I'm getting at. All right, I better move on. He goes on to say this, For you put up with it if one brings you into bondage. And he's telling them, you, you, you're being fools because you're now, you've taken the liberty that is in Christ, which sets you free, and you've allowed someone to come in and put you back into slavery. And that's what that word means. Catadulo, and it means to enslave, to impress, oppress, to reduce to servitude. So you take someone who is free, and you now take them and put them into slavery. That's what the Judaizers and their theology was doing. It's interesting how many times, I looked up the word bondage as it appears in English, uh, in the Bible, and it's a lot. Mostly it comes out of Exodus and Deuteronomy which are reminders of the children of Israel who were once in bondage, weren't they? 
In Deuteronomy 5, 6, says, I am the Lord, your God, who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of bondage. Early on, the Lord told the Israelites, you came out of bondage. You were slaves. I've brought you out. Deuteronomy 15, 15, one of my favorite verses. You shall remember that you were a slave in the land of Egypt, and the Lord your God redeemed you. Therefore, I command you this thing today. Way back there in the law, the books of the law, the books of Moses, they were commanded to follow the Lord and to remember him at a heart level. See, the law and those that believe that you can be saved by the law bring you back into bondage. Christ offers freedom, doesn't he? Romans chapter 8, verse 15. We're no longer slaves, but we're now adopted sons, adopted children. For you did not receive the spirit of bondage again to fear, but you received the spirit of adoption by whom we cry out, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. And if children, then heirs and heirs of God and joint heirs with Christ, if indeed we suffer with him, that we may also be glorified together. For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory which shall be revealed in us. And he goes on and talks, that great chapter, Romans 8, it talks about so much there, right? And uh, I won't take time to read further, but it's just how bondage puts us into, it breaks the relationship, doesn't it? It just breaks the relationship. The other thing he says this, if one devours you, and the word to devour there, it means to eat up, to consume, to, to devour. It's funny that we'd let somebody come, on, come in, and that's what the Corinthians were doing, and would eat them up. I don't think that's literal, like they were having cannibalistic feasts, that wasn't it. But it's, that's what their intention was. They were taking advantage of them, and they were taking everything they could and feeding off them materially and and spiritually and everything else and that goes with what he says next if one takes from you or if one takes literally and that means to to take in or to bait that that word so you've uh we use the phrase sometimes they took me to the cleaners right or they i got i got taken or took in that deal or something like that and that means somebody duped me somebody tricked me and, and took advantage of me. Well, that's what the Judaizers were doing. They were taking them in. Fooling them. The image is really of a bird caught in a snare or a fish caught on a hook. And they baited them and caught them. And that's what their intention was. He says, if one exalts himself... The key word in that phrase is himself. And it means to lift up, to exalt. And there are those who um, exalt themselves. I was, uh, briefly we stopped at Walmart today in Presque Isle. I had to grab a few items and I saw a guy in there. I won't tell you who he is. Uh, But I saw him, he, he's a, uh, I think he's still pastoring somewhere, and he works uh, in some distribution thing there, and I, I saw him, and 
I said, oh no, I don't, hope, I don't want him to see me. Because you know why? Every time I get talking to him, he exalts himself. And he goes on and on and on and on and on and on about the great things he's doing. And everything's about him. I don't know if he knows he does that, but it always makes me very uncomfortable. It always also makes me want to say the same thing. Like, oh, well, I'll tell you what I'm doing. Let me, let me. And then I feel like, oh, that was a great time. We didn't talk about the Lord. We talked about me and you. That's it. So I didn't, I saw him in distance. And I said, I'm going to go this way. <laughs> and that's awful. To have to, and I, he, I don't think anybody here would know him, actually, because he works all over the state. But I, uh, I said, you know, I'm glad I didn't talk to him today. <laughs> But there are those they exalt themselves. And you know what? Let others lift you up, if anything. I'd much rather have somebody come along and say, you know, oh, that Randy or, or that Gee or Paul back there or whatever. They're just good people. You know, they do this and they do that. I'd much rather hear that than have them come up and say all the good things they do. And they, and they don't. And I pick on them tonight, but uh, they don't do that. None of you guys, I mean, as I look around this room, are like that. But there are those that were doing that, and the Judaizers were exalting themselves. Then he says, if one exalts himself, if one strikes you on the face, and and that is the word that's used, beat, to strike a blow. I don't know if that's like Paul saying they were literally getting hit, but I can tell you that sometimes I'd rather get punched in the face than sometimes get spoken to by someone who just wants to beat you up verbally um and there are those those things i i man there are there are some people out there that um they're like that they take advantage of others uh and you just go wow you know i can't believe that the people sit under that ministry or they they go to that bible study and get beaten up every week doing that and then there's some that like that. I'd rather get beaten up. I feel good afterwards, you know, because it stopped. <laughs> yes, I don't know. That's probably what it is. And I understand that there are times the Lord gives us a little bit of, uh, I would say, some holy slapping around with his word and the conviction of the Holy Spirit. But you'll never find the Lord Jesus in the pattern of Scripture there when he's teaching people who were wanting to be taught, all of that, being abusive. And you wouldn't find him being abusive to anybody, even sinners. He will come someday and judge. And they will want to go and hide in the mountains and in the caves and call down the rocks to fall on them because they won't want his fierce anger then. But he's never abusive. To beat, to strike a blow. Well, we got to end sort of there. Paul goes on to talk about uh, all the things he went through, all the problems, his sufferings for Christ. Um, he had received stripes above measure and beatings, and yet he lists a lot more things here than are recorded in the other places in Scripture. Actually, we only have one time recorded in the book of Acts where Paul was beaten, um, but yet according to this several more times he was beaten he went through natural hardships being shipwrecked being cold being you know without food those kind of things and yet god sustained him 
in all of that. And I love what Acts chapter 20, verse 24, part of Paul's testimony of, of what these same kind of trials that faced him. And I love what he says there. He says, but none of these things move me, nor do I count my life dear to myself. He wasn't saying my life isn't dear. He, he had the care of the churches on him. And he knew that if he wasn't there, you know, he says this elsewhere when he says that um, to be with Christ is far better. But, you know, it's basically, I'm paraphrasing, more practical to be here, right? Because he was involved in ministry. And there were a lot of things that hinged on him. His life was dear, but he didn't count his life dear. So that I may finish, I may finish my race with joy. Oh man, if you have your print Bible, underline that. The one thing we need to do on this earth is finish our life with joy. I don't want to end up being just an old grumpy man that hates everything and yells at the TV all the time, right? I find myself going that direction sometimes. I'm like, oh nope, don't go there. I want to end my days finishing my race with joy. And the ministry which I received from the Lord Jesus to testify to the gospel of the grace of God. Keep it simple. Keep it on the message of the grace of God and the gospel of God and exalt Christ. That's what Paul says. Father, thank you for your word.